Well, good to be with you this morning, and if you'll open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications and loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Please be seated. Faith is easy until it's not. Faith is easy until it's tested. This letter is delivered to a group of Jews who are thinking about giving up on Jesus. Hebrews establishes Jesus' credentials. He's preexistent. He's sovereign. He provided the only sufficient sacrifice for sin. He understands our weaknesses and he speaks in our defense. This Christ we put our faith in will never let us down. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, he would say to these Jewish Christians and he would say to us. Christ is superior to everything that Judaism had to offer. He first says... He's superior to the angels. And then he's greater than Moses and he's greater than Aaron. Chapter 4 calls us to draw near to Jesus, our great high priest. The discussion of the priesthood of Christ continues in this chapter. Christ is in a better position in the third heaven. He is of a better order, that of Melchizedek. He brings in a better covenant, the new covenant, with better promises. He offered a better sacrifice. As you can see, the priesthood of Christ takes up most of the rest of Hebrews. The priesthood of Christ, Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. Number one, better than Aaron. 1 through 4. For every high priest, that word for is a transition from chapter 4 to chapter 5. The believer needs to hold fast his profession and come to the heavenly throne of grace because he has a high priest who is totally qualified. 
A priest is a human divinely appointed. This passage introduces two more Old Testament characters, Aaron and Melchizedek. Christ is better than both, but only like one. Both are necessary in that they function as high priests and started orders of the priesthood which were named after them. Melchizedek ministered before the law, Aaron after the law. From the beginning to Exodus, the male head of the family offered sacrifices to God. When Israel sinned with the golden calf and worshipped it, God selected a tribe of Levi to take the place of the firstborn males. Concerning the relationship of the Levitical tribe to Aaron, Aaron and Moses were the most prominent members from the tribe of Levi. God gave the Levites as a gift to Israel to do the service in the temple. The tribe of Levi were made up of, number one, the sons of Gershon, who carried the tent and the curtains. Number two, the sons of Kohath, who dealt with the tabernacle furniture. And the sons of Merari, who handled the hardware. The actual priesthood was from Aaron and his sons. Numbers 3.10. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons that they may keep their priesthood. But the layman who comes near shall be put to death. A priest had to prove that he was a descendant of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. If not, he couldn't serve. In Nehemiah it says, these searched among their ancestral registration but it could not be located. Therefore, they were considered unclean and excluded from the priesthood. So again, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So a common feature for a priest, of course, was that he was human. He must be from among us. He couldn't be an angel. The high priest was human and from the lineage of Aaron. Numbers 8, 5, and 6. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them. It says, is appointed on behalf of men. He must represent men before God. His life revolved around the tabernacle and the religious calendar and the complex sacrificial system. His destiny was not as a prophet or a king or a farmer or a businessman. You remember when Canaan was divided, Levi had no portion. God was their inheritance to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. It was an ongoing, never-ending activity until Christ's final sacrifice. The ideal priest was a man who related to his people. He was set apart to go to God on their behalf. Some pastors think the ideal job is where they study in their book-lined office and emerge once a week to preach and have 
once they've done that, retire back to their study. Study is important. It's a big part of what we do. But it's not the only thing we do. It's good to be involved in life. Life's struggles and sins and misunderstandings and humiliations. They humanize the priest or the pastor. Raising kids, busy schedules, working through marriage issues, better qualify him to represent his people. Roman Catholic priests don't have that experience. Two and three. He can gently deal with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins for, as for the people, so also for himself. So he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he also offered sacrifices for his own sins as well as the people. He can deal gently with the people. He recognizes his sin, and so he offered sacrifices for himself. On the Day of Atonement, then, he was decked out in his priestly robes. He would kill the bull for his own personal sins and for his family's sins. In slaughtering the bull, he laid his hands on its head and confessed its sins, transferring his sins to the bull, the sins of the people to the bull. The Mishnah records this prayer by a priest. O God, I have committed iniquity and transgressed and sinned before thee. I and my house and the children of Aaron, thy holy people, O God, forgive, I pray, the iniquities and transgressions and sins which I have committed and transgressed and sinned before thee, I and my house. This was followed by the high priest taking the blood to to sacrifice in the Holy of Holies and sprinkling it on the mercy seat. It was only after taking care of his own sins that he dared offer a sacrifice for his people on the Day of Atonement. The ideal high priest knew he was a sinner and so was equipped to deal gently with his sinful people. He wasn't above them, but he was sympathetic as a sinner on behalf of other sinners. He was compassionate, and he he was sensitive as he dealt gently with these people. Matthew 5, 3-5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. You see here an awareness of weakness. The poor in spirit, who realize there's nothing in themselves to commend them to God. Blessed are those who mourn over their sins. When you're aware that you're a sinner, weak and helpless without God, you will deal gently with others. But when you're always harsh and judgmental and unsympathetic, it's an indication 
that you no longer are aware of your sin and the weaknesses of others. Remember in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, strongly confront the unruly, but you help the weak, you encourage the faint-hearted, and you're patient with everyone. I think many Christians often humbly come to God and after their initial experience of sanctification delude themselves and imagine they're better than others. But that disqualifies them from ministry. What a great quality it is to deal gently with those falling into sin. To be approachable. Another qualification of a high priest is that it must be by divine appointment. Exodus 28.1 Then bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priest to me, Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And then you remember Korah in number 16. He didn't follow that. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, the son of Dathan, the son of Abraham, the son of Eliab, and on his son of Pelath, sons of Reuben, took action. And they rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and and said to them, You have gone far enough. For all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he chose, he will bring to himself. To do otherwise, to appoint someone other than from divine selection, brings judgment, as we see here with Korah. And in the Old Testament, that judgment was decisive and it was visible. And what happened to Korah and the 250? The earth swallowed them up because they wanted an office that only God could appoint. If someone is in your church and they loudly complain that they're not on the board, they're not an elder, or they're not a deacon, that proves they don't belong. God will choose and cause people to see they belong in a position of leadership. Saul lost the kingdom. Why? He impatiently assumed a priestly function. So a good priest was humble. His work was not just a job, but it was a divine calling, as it is for us as pastors. He was a link between the people and God. He was selected to serve. The office of high priest comes from divine, not human authority. It would be no different for the apostles, right? It was by by divine appointment for Paul and Peter and Thomas and the rest of them. 
If you're walking with God, you know Christ, and you obey his word, and you're sensitive to the Spirit, you will want his will and not yours. Then he will call you into service and use you in some way. Andrew Murray wrote this. The Spirit teaches me to yield my will entirely to the will of the Father. He opens my ear to wait in great gentleness and teachableness of soul for what the Father has day by day to speak and to teach. He discovers to me how union with God's will is union with God himself, how entire surrender to God's will is the Father's claim, the Son's example, and the true blessedness of the soul. That's just not, may I suggest, that's just not for preachers and elders. For every true Christian, there is no true joy for them without obedience. That prepares you to serve others and to be useful in the church and in the world. The high priest was human. He was one of them. He dealt gently with his people. He was divinely Selected, he was free of ego and pride. Christ's high priesthood was better. While he was a man, he was sinless. He didn't have to offer sacrifices for himself. Christ was gentle and he was compassionate. And he was divinely chosen to go to the cross. So to the Jewish Christians, the author says, don't return to a mere human high priest instead of remaining with our great high priest who sits at the right hand of God and gives access to the throne room to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Point number two, in in the order of Melchizedek, starting verse four. This is not a contrast between the orders of Aaron and Melchizedek. But the qualifications of Christ to be a priest for all mankind are given. It was demonstrated. He he is a human. He's compassionate. He was divinely called. Verses 4 and 5. And no one takes the honor to himself but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he said to him, You are my son today, I have begotten you. God appointed him. It says so also. Shows the fulfillment of the previous requirement. First Christ glorified not himself to be made high priest. Christ did not appoint himself. He was not selfishly ambitious. Christ's total preoccupation was in complete obedience to the will of God. John 5.30 I can do nothing on my own initiative, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 17.4-5 I glorified you on the earth, talking to God the Father, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. 
Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory I had with you before the world was. And one more, John 8, 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. What he did was to bring glory to the Father. Again, in verse 5, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Christ received divine appointment to the office of high priest. To support this, the author quotes Psalm 2-7 and what you heard Dave read earlier, Psalm 110. The Jewish readers of the book of Hebrews knew both referred to the Messiah. They knew that the Messiah was to be a king and a priest and appointed by God, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, chapter 7 gives us more detail on that. He was a king priest. He lived at the time of Abraham, and his ancestry is completely unknown. He was the king of Salem and a priest to God. It says in Genesis 14, 18, and 19. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of the God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God. He lived before the priesthood of Aaron, and his priesthood was unending. It says in chapter 7, verse 3, Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Unlike Aaron, which began with the time of Moses and ended in A.D. 70, his priesthood was better than Aaron's in that the Melchizedek, in that Melchizedek was a king and Aaron was not. His priesthood was forever, Aaron's was temporary. So Melchizedek's priesthood is a better picture of Christ's than Aaron's. And it's interesting that under the Mosaic law, Christ couldn't have become a priest because he was born into the kingly tribe of Judah not the priestly tribe of Levi. The Messiah of Israel was to be both king and priest. The Dead Sea community believed in the advents of two messianic figures, a king in the line of David and a priest in the line of Aaron. Their confusion stemmed from their ignorance of the importance of Melchizedek. The actual priestly ministry of Aaron ended with his death, and the order ended in A.D. 70. But Christ's priesthood goes on forever because he was raised from the dead. He lives forever as our great high priest. Verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. 
We saw that one of Christ's qualifications was his ability to sympathize with those that he ministers to. Christ sympathizes with his people's weaknesses because he was exposed to all the trials that they endure. These happened in the days of his flesh. The human weakness Christ experienced during his earthly life. He offered prayers and supplications with loud voice, crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. Referring to what? Gethsemane. Prayers and petitions point to dependence on God. Crying out to God when you are in your lowest moments. If you walk with Christ, you will be heard. Mark fourteen thirty six, And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. God didn't take it away. Christ died. So how was that prayer answered? Remember what he said. Not what my will be done, but thy will be done. So answer prayer then brings about God's will, not our will. The prayer was the will of God be done, which has precedence over taking away Christ's suffering. But Christ was strengthened to do the will of God. You and I may pray for God to resolve some situation. We want, we want that to happen now. We want it to turn out a certain way, but it may not. God may simply strengthen us to endure and not lose faith, and that's the answer. Verse 8. Although he, was a, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Does this mean that Christ passed from disobedience to obedience? No, of course not. He learned obedience by actually obeying. D.A. Carson writes, This does not mean he learned to obey after moral failure. Rather, he learned through the hard experience all that obedience entails. So he became a high priest sympathetic to our human weakness. Wayne Grudem says, Though always without sin and thus always obedient, Jesus nevertheless acquired knowledge and experience by living as a human being and especially came to know firsthand what, what it cost to maintain obedience in the midst of suffering. His obedience was strengthened. The nature of obedience is the total submission to the will of another. Christ's obedience made possible divine justification, where the disobedience of Adam brought about sin. Verse 9, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. There is a perfection that results from having actually suffered. 
he became. Now, he was eternally perfect in righteousness. But MacArthur says he became perfect in the sense that he completed his qualification course for becoming the eternal high priest. His death opens the door to salvation. His obedience to the Father accomplished salvation for the repentant sinner. Salvation comes to those who obey him. To submit, that word means. Salvation isn't just praying the sinner's prayer. Many have prayed the sinner's prayer and and walk away and live however they want. It isn't being baptized. It's following Christ. Jesus asked the disciples to do more than agree that he was the Messiah. He said, follow me, I will make you what? Fishers of men. Renounce your idols, renounce your traditions, and repent. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. If that is true of you, you obey Christ. You remember from our study in 1 John in Sunday school, verses 8 through 10. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one, says no one, who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Christians are called to total abandonment to God. And that doesn't change just because suffering comes into your life. James chapter 1. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then Peter says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Christ Jesus. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you 
do not see him, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. How we respond to difficulty and loneliness and pain shows that our faith is real. As Christ continued toward the cross, he proved he was the Son of God, dying in our place and raised for our justification. We prove that we are Christians when we die to self and live in newness of life. So you better be sure you know him. You better be sure you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ because your soul hangs on the balance. Again, verse 10. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was qualified to be our high priest because of the common nature he shared with us. And his compassion for the lost. And that he was appointed by God. Now the author returns to the thought that Jesus was made a high priest by by God in the order of Melchizedek. That was a designation not given by men nor by himself, but by God the Father. So the author would say to these Messianic Jews, don't retreat to the Levitical priesthood that is obsolete. There is a new high priest in town, and his name is Jesus Christ, who is a king and a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and only he can save you. What did we learn today? Jesus Christ is our high priest. The Jewish Christians who the author writes to needs to stick with him. He was a human. You remember the, that phrase, the hyperstatic union? means Jesus is fully God and fully man. He was appointed by God. And all he did, he did in obedience to the Father. To bring glory to the Father and not himself. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. How do we apply it? We need to stick with Jesus. There's no other way to know God and have eternal life, Acts 4.12. There's salvation in no other name. I was at the YMCA last Tuesday. And a guy, you know, just close quarters there, and I was standing next to a guy who was preaching a New Age gospel to the guy next to him. This other man responded and said, well, hey, there is no way to get to heaven but through Christ. The New Age guy said, we are all connected even before we're born. And then he said, but I don't believe in anything. The other guy said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I said amen and then entered into the conversation. Look, we would get along with everyone 
if we just say, hey, we worship the same God, we just approach him in different ways. But that's not true. There is one great high priest, and his name isn't Muhammad, it isn't Joseph Smith, and it isn't Sun Young Moon. It is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Tozer wrote this. The only safe place for a sheep is by the side of the shepherd. Because the devil does not fear the sheep. He just fears the shepherd. You Jews who have either trusted Christ or you've flirted with faith in Christ, don't leave the shepherd's side. Our great high priest, who is our mediator between God and man, and you and I need to take that to heart and grow in our love for him and our service to the one true God, the God of the Bible. So there is still a remnant that doesn't bow a knee to anyone or anything but the Lord of Lords. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our great high priest, Jesus Christ, for what he did for us on the cross and how through faith in him we can have a relationship with you and have abundant life and eternal life. We live forever because of what you've done, and we're thankful. Amen.